You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Hey y'all, welcome to episode 75 of the Pimpcron Warhammer podcast, and I am excited, excited, excited to be here this week. I hope you are too. What we have to discuss tonight is we are doing a real talk with the Pimpcron about scratch building terrain. This may not come as a surprise to some of you, but uh, apparently newer players are not aware of exactly how to go about just kit bashing or scratch building some very simple and easy terrain. I mean, finish an entire table of terrain without painting it in an hour or two. I mean, that simple of terrain. And we're going back to some old school because I'm an old fool who's so cool. <laughs> I'm really not that old, but the uh, I've got tons of books and stuff, and I just assumed this was common knowledge, but apparently um, this is not for new players. So uh, we that originally actually was a Tesseract mailbox from a guy named Jeremy, but it was such a long-winded uh, explanation I gave him in a tutorial on exactly what to do. I even gave him a couple options. Uh, that became the real talk for today because I just could not shut up about it. I was very excited to share my wealth of knowledge, and I've built my share of uh, some scratch-built buildings. Now, some of this will be old you know, territory for you, and some of this might actually be interesting ideas because you've never ran into this. So that is, um, that's exactly what we are talking about for the real talk. And I am also joined by... The uh, for the real Tesseract mailbox, I'm joined by Just James today, and we have the Patreon Cryptech Brandon is complaining about GW and specifically red shirts, how they treat people, and uh, he's just kind of like a down with the system sort of attitude today, and and we go ahead with it. So uh, if you guys listened to the last episode, um, this is the personal part of my show where I talk about what I've been up to. If you listen to the last episode, you'll notice that I found a new thing that I like to do called bullet journals, and uh, I've been doing it for the last week, so of course it's not, you know, anything to really clap about, because you can do anything for a week. Um, I once held my breath for a week, so I mean, you can pretty much do anything for a week. Um, but, uh, okay, that was a lie. I gotta come clean. I know a lot of you probably just believed what I just said. And I, in all honesty, it would be physically impossible to hold my breath for a week. I was trying to be cool. I just wanted you all to like me, and I'm sorry, okay? I hope we can go past this and continue with the conversation. Point being is that I have actually kept up with the bullet journal this week, and um, it really has. I mean, at least for me, it's it's carrot on the stick sort of thing. Um, I've been watching my you know diet better. I've been going out of my way to exercise, and, and really it's because of the bullet journal. Um, because, you know, I have to check that off at the end of every night. I've got it right next to my sink in my bathroom and I have to go, okay, well, you know, did I meet my, my, um, calorie goal? Did I meet my exercise goal? Did I work on, um, un unfinished projects, which is what I've been plowing through because of this bullet journal. Now give me a month. Will I still be doing it? I don't know because, you know, it's not a new year's resolution, but it's in that same family and new year's resolutions are usually not kept up with. I'm fully aware of all of this, so I'm not saying this is a life-changing thing necessarily, but it has helped me. In the last week, I've gotten nine bat swarms finished, painted, based. The base is painted because I'm, uh, I do that. I paint bases. 
Uh, I gravel them and then paint them because I like them all to look uniform, and I'm afraid I'll never find the same basing material again, so don't judge me, just understand that's how I do it. And in addition to the nine bat swarms, I have also finished um, assembling ten more uh, Tomb Kings knights for Tomb Kings, and I've been working on painting uh, four more cavalry, actually five more cavalry, which were already assembled, but only partially primed, partially painted. And I've also finished painting um, a group of Glaive Wraith Stalkers, I think they're called, for Night Haunt, that I had almost finished and not finished. And I've also finished a... Um, What's the named dude with the sword and the hourglass for Night Haunt? You know, the dude, I forget what his name is. But anyway, I, I he's been assembled and primed forever and not painted, so I painted that. And now, currently, I am getting ready to paint the ten more cavalry and paint the six, or five, no, four more uh, chariots for Tomb Kings. That is currently what I'm working on. But it has been a great motivator for me. I like the reward system of those little checkboxes. And I don't know. Maybe it'll work for you too. Super easy. I don't know. It's not really the point of this podcast though. So what else have I been up to? Well, I played a game with Just James today. And it was super exciting. We used the um, AI tables in the scenario mode from the Pimpcron Epic War Planner. I should quit saying that because it's just called Epic War Planner, not Pimpcron Epic War Planner. It is the Epic War Planner. You can get that on Amazon. And we decided to do a campaign, a cooperative campaign, um, starring my Grey Knights and his Sisters of Battle, which he just recently assembled. And we're going to go against my Vampire Army in 40k, which is actually Drakari, but I like to think of them as a a um, a lesser race of spacefaring vampires. And essentially, the you know deployment and the mission and all that that we rolled was that they were... Um, attacking civilians and we would randomly discover new civilians and we had to save them and it was pretty cool um I got devastated in the combat I my uh I had like four models left on the board at the end of the game but we did win we saved all four civilians I was very happy about that and um the interesting thing the reason why I'm mentioning all this is not to plug my stupid book it is because um, one of my guys, it's been a while since I gave anybody battle honors, and this dude, uh, just really aced it. So, believe it or not, I didn't even know this until, uh, after he did the awesome thing, but Sergeant Manos from my Grey Knights, he's a strike squad, uh, he's a strike squad power sword sergeant, and he previously, uh, the reason why he was already named is because he earned his name uh, in March of last year, against my friend Dom and his Imperial Guard, uh, originally Sergeant Manos earned his name and green purity seal for killing a company commander and beheading the Lord Commissar in close combat, helping them to win the game when assaulted by those two and ten guardsmen. So he survived ten guardsmen, and then he beheaded a Lord Commissar and a company commander. By himself. That was back in March. Well, today... He earned a purple purity seal by beheading a vampire lord on a civilian rescue mission when allied with Sisters of Battle. He was the only guy left in the unit. He charged the vampire lord and did six unsaved wounds in one round of combat. I'm not lying to you. He hit both with both of his attacks. He Oh man, you know what? I didn't even do the... Uh, that would have helped me a lot. Did Grey Knights get the uh, shock assault or whatever? 
oh man, I hope they don't because, well, I mean, I hope they do, but I hope they don't because I just screwed myself this whole game. I didn't do that at all. But anyway, he got his two attacks for being a sergeant. He hit with both of them. He wounded with both of them. The Vampire Lord failed both of them. And then he did his D3 damage, and both of them were three damage each. Vampire Lord did not save any of them with Feel No Pain. It was very, very epic. It was the vampire leader for the other team, for the AI team. And it was awesome. So uh, this is the first mission in this campaign. My Grandmaster... uh, earned a battle honor as far as the campaign goes there's a chart in the epic war planner where whenever your warlord survives a battle in a campaign they get a benefit if they ever die in a battle they get a negative and um the benefit that james's canonist rolled was that um the people within three inches of her do not roll for morale checks she is inspiring and the benefit that I rolled is that I can have a second item, a second relic equipped to my warlord. So I'm pretty excited about that, actually, because I'm going to be able to give him to give him two relics, which is going to be pretty sweet. I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. And um, they just get better as it is, you know, as the game goes on. Um, their aura abilities can be extended or whatever. So it's always exciting to... Um, I just wanted to bring that up because it's always exciting that somebody that already was named and already got battle honors now got more battle honors. I have very, very few models that have more than one battle honor just because of the infrequency that, you know, you give battle honors, something crazy awesome happens. And uh, uh, this guy now has a green purity seal and a purple purity seal. So he's well decorated old Strike Squad Sergeant Manos. All right. Let's get on with the show, and let's dig deep into, technically, two Tesseract mailboxes. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. Hey, it's time for the Tesseract mailbox, and today I'm joined by my dear, dear friend, Just James. Don't touch me. (laughs) So, uh... I had a listener message that I thought you'd like to hear, and we can discuss it, because neither one of us have a whole lot of experience with GW stores. Now, you know the old term red shirts is, um, I mean, I don't think they wear red shirts anymore. That's Star Wars, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't I don't think GW employees wear red shirts anymore, right? We don't no, have I think a... they're black. Okay. Um, so the, uh, we don't have any GW stores near us, so we don't have a whole lot of experience with it, but... We got an angry message from uh, Patreon Cryptech, uh, Brandon, and he said, I fucking hate red shirts. Just waited in traffic for an hour to get to the official GW store to use my gift card I got for Christmas. What a huge joke. No Space Wolves at all besides blisters. You need to buy the Primaris Marines, then you need a bunch of upgrade spurs. I said, what about Wolfen and Thunder Wolf Cavalry? Oh, you got a special order them. Plus, I can't use my gift card unless it's brick and mortar, since it's not the digital version of the gift card. You should have seen when he uh, you should have seen me when he was like, "You got to order on our terminals." And I was like, "Wait, so I am going to just order online and I got to do it myself." <laughs> uh um games and stuff has legitimately one of almost everything. And they will order it for you. Now, Games and Stuff is a uh, privately owned store in uh, Western Maryland, and it's pretty well known. I mean, it's it's got advertisements in BWI Airport and stuff. It's a 
it's one of the largest um, gaming stores all on the East Coast, and that's where we usually go for bro trips. Yeah. And uh, we really like that store. Yeah, it's pretty big. So it's funny because he's like, the GW store had no Space Space Wolves at all on the shelves, and meanwhile, an independent carrier, Games and Stuff, has like one of everything. Yeah. How's that work? And uh, so he said that, um, and they'll even order it for you. They don't have a kiosk for you to order it on the GW store. They, they will order it for you. I mean, it just seems backwards. He said, uh, uh, the guy said, no one is playing Space Wolves unless it's Primaris. And I just looked at him like, really? As he was legit piling on every brush and paint for this new guy in there. They are salesmen, not hobbyists. This dude has never played or painted before, and he is legit selling him hard coat and clear coat and textured paint. Good grief. I just kind of stood there like, wow, I remember those days. <laughs> so he said, the worst part is, after all this, I still have to go back and use the fucking gift card when my things come in. <laughs> so so he drove, what would it say, half hour, hour, something like that? Uh, he, he drove... He drove a while. Well, let me look at it again. Um, he drove an hour, including traffic. He was in traffic for an hour to go to a GW store to use a gift card he got for Christmas. And he can't use the gift card online because it's a gift card only for brick and mortar stores, which I guess means his friend or family member went into the store and bought him the gift card. Uh-huh. So I guess like a gift certificate, not a gift card. And uh, then he's like, well, can I just order it online? And they're like, no, you can't. You can't use the gift card. It's got to be in the store. So then they direct him to a computer console to order it online. But because he's ordering it online in the store, he can use the gift card. And instead of just having GW website mail it to him, they will only mail it to the store, which means he's got to wait in traffic again for another hour to go back and use the gift card. That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. So uh, they should also give him gas money. <clears throat> yeah. So we've all heard these horror stories about the GW employees and the red shirts and all that. But honestly, I've never. Every time we've ever been to one of those stores that wasn't games and stuff. I mean, you know, one of the GW stores, they never really hassled us for anything. No, I I don't think I've ever been hassled. Like I, uh, when I started getting the Dark Eldar. Uh, when I went to go get the codex, a guy talked to me a, a little bit, but he yeah. didn't go, get this, get this, get this. Yeah. Um, I did, of course, they do the whole thing, but every store does this. I, when I used to buy, when I have bought stuff in the past from one of those stores, they're like, oh, do you need any paints today? You know, they try to do that, like, would you like to supersize it? Sort of. Yeah, yeah. You know, the upsell. But you pretty much expect that anywhere from any store. If you go to, you know, Walmart or one of the places, like, oh, would you like to join our our credit card club? Or yeah. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't offended by that, but that would piss me off if someone got me a GW gift card and you can't use it online. Yeah, that, that's irritating. That's bullshit. Um, but it, it's funny because we have heard all these horror stories of, like he said, the dude is just piling this brand new player on with all this stuff, like clear coat and stuff that texture paint. I mean, come on. <laughs> Like, you need to get that guy some primer and some base paints and be done with it. Yeah. You know? Some glue, some clippers. Yeah. So Step-by-step levels. Yeah. Um, we had some friends that used to work for Games Workshop. Um, Orc used to work back in the day. I'm talking probably 20 years ago. A long, 25 years ago. Yeah. A long time ago. 
And, uh, you know, he said that they got commission and things like that for selling. That was, like, they got a, a minimum payment, you know, per hour or whatever, but most of their stuff was commission, and they had target goals they had to make. So what they would do is, you know, they had, like, monthly, like, hey, you have to sell so many whatever boxes or whatever. So at the end of the month, what they would do if they didn't meet their goal is they would just buy it themselves <laughs> to meet their goal. So he said at the end of every month, like all the employees had like this pile of boxes. They're like, Oh, well, I had to buy it to meet my quota. And, uh, it's just mm. seems weird. And on that topic, you know, when we used to go to the, uh, Bowie battle bunker, you know, remember that place? Yeah. We haven't gone in years cause it's not our preferred place anymore. Um, but remember, right before I started playing, which is also right before you started playing, it was a like a, bliggity blam Steve tells us, it was a massive store. Like, it was huge. That's why it was called the Battle Bunker. It had like, you know, 20 tables, and it was a massive store. And then right before we got into it, they downsized and moved to a small place in uh, Bowie, Maryland. And uh, it's like a very small store inside a shopping mall. Remember, we've yeah. been there several times. Yep. And uh, it was like a year or so that we did not go there. We went elsewhere, like Titan Games or Games and Stuff or something, another store nearby. And uh, we went back to it. And this was probably, gosh, six years ago or something. It was a while ago. We went back and remember it had turned into like a one-man store? Uh, yeah. Do you remember I, that? I think barely. I barely remember. So we used to, apparently that's what they've been doing all across America, is turning them into one-employee stores. So the store's only open five days per week. Because the employee needs two days off. And if the employee is sick, then the store is just closed. <laughs> and remember they kicked us out for lunch? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. the employee had to go eat lunch. Yeah. So for like, I think it was like an hour or something, we had to just like go outside and he locked the doors and nobody was allowed in. So you had to like stop the middle of your game. And I don't know, it just seems shitty. Like, it, I know games and stuff and other places, they have other product. It's not just GW product to sell. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, they're more diversified and they don't require you, you know, to have so much. But you feel like GW of all places would have all of the stock. Like, you feel like a GW store yeah, would have all of the stuff available. Yeah. It's weird that an independent would, but GW doesn't. Yeah, it's very strange. And, it, and at some point... You know, there was a, a time when GW was, they supported independent retailers, and then for, like, several years they pulled away. Remember they banned bits selling online? Uh -huh. That's when Spiky Bits went out of business, was when he, essentially, my understanding of it, the word on the street, as they say, is that, uh, you know, all those bit sellers were like, hey, you gotta cut it out. I think Mini Wargaming said something about that, too, didn't they? Uh, you couldn't yeah, sell... They were trying to sell their own game... And they said they couldn't do it, so they had to close down their store. <laughs> Something like that. Something like also, that. Also, at some point, um, their their legal terms said that you couldn't sell things online with a website that had a shopping cart. Yeah. Like, what the hell does that even mean? So that means eBay was no longer allowed. You know, you could sell secondhand stuff, but you weren't supposed to be like a seller, a retailer selling stuff online. Uh huh. Um, but that's changed now, right? Yeah, they. So it's weird because they fluctuated. They used to support all the stores and the bits people. They didn't care who bought their stuff. Then they went through a, a period of time where they didn't want bit sellers. They didn't want online sellers. They want everything through their stores. And they kind of stopped supporting independent retailers. And then like maybe three years ago, 
they started reducing their stores, you know, to like one man. I'm, I'm guessing at these years because all the years blend together. But they started reducing their manpower in their stores and then allowing bit selling and things like that again online. Um, I guess it didn't work out very well for them. Which, not. which, of course, if you've got independent retailers selling your stuff, I mean, I know you don't get all the money if you're GW, but that's more outlets for people to play and yep. buy stuff. So, anyway, um, at least we have not had that uh, that experience, that bad experience with the, with the red shirts. Yeah, that's true. No bad experiences. Yeah. Do you have anything to say? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one little funny story about... Alright, bye guys, it's the end of... T- <laughs> okay. Uh, one of our friends, uh, uh Justin, mm-hmm. uh, um, we were playing at the GW store, and one of the, you know, the employees come over, and he asked them, he goes, do you play? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we all just laughed, because he, it was dumb. Yeah, just, Yeah. Like yeah, I work here. I saw the model. No, I don't play. I've never heard, never heard of this game. Um, but anyway, so hopefully, uh, you guys have good experience with GW stores like we do. But I am sorry to hear all that nonsense. But the gift card nonsense is real bullshit. Yes, that is true. I mean, if they're gonna separate it like that, the least they could do is make the person buying the gift card use the kiosk to order a gift card that could be used at the store. Yes, or yeah. online. Yeah. But whatever. Sorry to hear you had a tough time, Brandon. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pimpcron. Hey boys and girls, it's time for the Tesseract Mailbox, and today we have Jeremy writing in, and he wants some information on the hobby. Um, That's all I'm going to say, because why don't I just read the letter to you and not... uh, give you a summary ahead of time. Why not that? So he says, Hey, Cron artist. My name is Jeremy and I really enjoy your show. Saw the link at the end of one of your articles. I had never ran across your stuff before. I have been playing for about a year now and you sound like you've been playing for a while longer than that. I want to build some cheap DIY terrain, uh, do it yourself terrain for my home table. And I really don't know how to go about it. It seems that all the articles I come across are far too complicated for what it is. They're trying to make amazing works of art, and I just want some regular buildings to make pew-pew noises out of. Could you give us a brief and simple guide to making scratch-built buildings? I know that is a thing people did years ago, and I was hoping you had some advice. You have permission to read this on the air. Jeremy. Well, first off, thanks for writing in, Jeremy. He wrote in at pimpcron.gmail.com. Second of all... Thanks for listening to the show. I appreciate it. And um, I actually do have some information about scratch building buildings. And I was not really aware that this was like a lost art. Maybe it is. I, once again, I'm not, I I thought this was still a thing people did. Maybe it's just an old time thing. I've been playing for roughly 10 years. I can never pinpoint whether or not like currently it's nine years or 10 years, but it's within, you know, within a decade I've been playing and yes I've built many scratch built buildings and I will give you very very clear and simple directions on how to make one. First off is the super cheap way and then I will give you a method of doing it um, a bit better a little more structurally sound or whatever. Um, So first off 
the very simplest buildings you can possibly build would be out of boxes, like cereal boxes or even a milk carton or something like that. Just a box you have lying around. Um, it can be thin, it can be thick, it doesn't really matter because you really should reinforce it either way. But let's say you are taking a milk carton. You can get two corners of buildings out of a milk carton by cutting it, standing up on its end like you would normally stand a milk carton, and you cut, let's say you have a long saw, I mean cut it however you want, but this is the easiest way to describe it. Um, cut it from one corner all the way through to the opposite corner and cut it all the way down the center. And then you will have two, like if you laid them down, they'd look like tents, two triangle shapes. Then take scissors or something like that and cut the edges to be, you know, wavy and, and whatnot. Then make them look like ruined buildings. Now, this in itself is going to be about two or three stories tall for a miniature. So that's not a bad size. It is totally re un unreinforced. And of course, you need floors in there. So as a rule of thumb, we use three inches for each uh, level of floor. So you're going to want to get other cardboard and cut those into triangles that will fit inside each one of these corners of a milk carton or other box. And you will, um, typically people use hot glue. Honestly, I am not the biggest fan of hot glue because eventually it kind of comes apart. So whenever I'm usually dealing with cardboard, what I will do is a combination of hot glue or Elmer's glue and you pin it in there, uh, you pin it from the outside, wherever your floor is going to be, I take like brad nails for um, trim in a house, or you will take, um, I mean, even toothpicks, but you really want something with a slight head to it so it will not pull through the wall. And uh, then you line up where you're going to put your floors, and hopefully your floor is something like corrugated cardboard from a regular box that you get something shipped in, not a uh, cereal box or whatnot. And you shove the nail or the pin or something in from the outside. It goes through the wall and into your floor material. And that, believe it or not, is very, very uh, durable. If you put, let's say, uh, you know, two nails, one near the corner, one near the end, and then on the other side of the floor, one near the corner, one near the end, put four nails or brads or whatever you have in there. And uh, then glue it, hot glue it, or super glue it, or Elmer's glue it, and that works surprisingly well. It will uh, firm up your entire building, and of course, you know, you're going to cut these in triangles as well for the floors, but you want to also make them look jagged or whatever with scissors or a hobby knife, and um, that is the simplest way to build buildings. Then, of course, you take X-Acto knives, and you might want to take marker ahead of time and draw the rectangles, but you're going to X-Acto knife all the windows out, and... That is really all you need. Of course, you could get fancy and add a roof and things like that. Uh, doesn't sound like you're really interested in that. You just want some ruins to fight in. And of course, it's kind of cool because no matter what boxes you find, they're going to be all different shapes and sizes. And, you know, I mean, like a cereal box, if you get one of the thicker cereal boxes, like um, I think Honeycomb is a, is a thicker box than, let's say... Uh, one of the more expensive boxes, you know, the um, honeycomb usually are big boxes. So if you cut a honeycomb box in half, you could do things through it. You might have to cut one side of it off for a wall or whatever, but just keep in mind that you need room to reach in there. That's why oftentimes ruins are just half a building or just a quarter of a building because they want you to be able to reach in from one side, but still get cover from the other. 
So that is option number one. Option number two for a much more durable building would be to go buy foam board. Uh, I think it's just called foam board. A foam core board, something like that. It's the type of stuff that you would use like in school when you needed like a um, kind of like one of those cardboard displays that fold out the trifold displays. But this is not a trifold display. It's like in that same genre of uh, school supplies, I guess, where it's the big thing of um, it's got a core of foam and it's got like a paper material on both sides of it. And they come in different um, widths, but they definitely have it at like retail stores like Walmart. They have it at Michael's or Hobby Lobby or any of those places. So you can definitely get it pretty much anywhere. Matter of fact, I think it's even like at Dollar Tree or Dollar General. Um, the thing you have to worry about before we even get started with this is that you want a nice... Um, I've ran into some really crappy foam board before where um, I think it might have been Dollar General, Dollar Tree where, you know, you're like, wow, this is a real steel, this is really good, but it's just not quite as durable, and the foam inside is fine, but the uh, layers of paper on either side, you can feel them, they're kind of thin, like, it's almost like you can almost see through the paper, it's not very durable at all. Now, if you're doing it on a serious budget, you could probably build an entire table of terrain with, you know, $10 of supplies, if you're going to buy the cheap foam, and that's fine, but, uh, then instead, what I would do is make sure that um, I know Walmart has good brand, like uh, Elmer's is actually one of the brands. Elmer's makes foam board and, uh, you know, you can choose your, your thickness. I wouldn't go with, you know, half inch or whatever. There's several different inches, maybe quarter inch or uh, three eighths. But um, I think quarter inch is usually the one that most people use and it should be easy to find. But what you do is you decide how big you want your... Um, building to be and you cut a square for the base that is about one inch larger all the way around than what your building's going to be so for instance if you want to make a six inch square building let's say six inches by six inches then you're going to want your uh base to be eight inches by eight inches so it's got one inch on either side all the way around and that's going to be the base for your building that's what's going to give all of it its durability and its sturdiness um so what you're going to do then is you are going to cut uh, the easiest way to do this if you're doing one-story buildings is to cut long strips of three-inch tall foam. So let's say we want to do a three-sided six-inch by six-inch building. Then you would cut an 18-inch strip of three-inch tall foam. And this is going to be your one-story building. And what you do is you don't cut it wall by wall, it's incredibly durable if you can just crease it and fold it. So for instance, you're going to cut your three inch tall strip of foam, and then you're going to want it obviously in sections of three, but it's so much more stronger if it is still connected. So what you want to do is mark the six inch corners, mark the six inch corners, and then you're going to score it and probably cut a little V inside it. So when you fold it, the outside paper is still connected on both sides, but some of the foam has, um, you've dug out some of the room for the foam to fold in on itself, you know, because otherwise it's going to buckle and look weird. Um, so then you will put that on your base and you will put nails through, up through the base into the walls and hot glue it, Elmer's glue it or super glue it. Then of course, 
you know, make it jagged and, and make it like ruins and then cut your doors or your windows. The same thing works for if you were to do like a two-story building, then make your, let's say we want a three-sided building that is six inches by six inches by six inches, right? So you have one open side to reach in and, and deal with models. Um, then what you'll do there is do a six-inch tall strip of 18 inches long. And you do the exact same thing. Mark the six inches, mark the six inches, score out that V, you know, cut out some foam so it's got room to fold, and then put that on your base and then nail it up from the bottom. Then, of course, you're going to um, have to cut out the floor, you know, between the first and second floor of the building. And uh, remember, though, if you're scoring exactly at six inches, then the inside of it's going to be slightly less than six inches. So you're probably going to want to take a ruler or something like that and actually measure that. And that is super, super simple. Now, you didn't specifically ask about painting it, but I'm going to go into that now just because I'm assuming that might be your next question. Uh, and, of course, if you want to add a roof or something like that, the thing that the old-timers used to do is they build an A-frame roof, um, you know, a gable end like a, a normal house, and they put it on top there. They would pin it down to the walls and to the tops of the walls. And then they would usually cut strips of like construction paper or cardstock. And they would make them, let's say, uh, one inch tall and, you know, the length of the roof. Then what they do is they cut it half an inch every, um, you know, if the strip is one inch thick, they only cut halfway up into it. Kind of like you're cutting flyers, you know those pull-off flyers like, have you seen my dog, or I'm doing guitar lessons, pull one off and call me, that sort of thing. Uh, what you're going to be doing is making shingles, and you can easily glue those on. So instead of cutting individual shingles, you will cut a one-inch strip of cardstock, and then cut it half an inch in, and then do that every so often. And it actually looks better if it's not uniform. It actually looks better if it is a little different here or there. And for some variation, of course, you can cut some individual shingles and have, you know, one shingle slightly cockeyed or, or whatever. You can get as crazy about it, but you said you wanted simple, so this is simple. But you also did not specifically mention roofs, so that's as far as I'm going to go in for the roofs. Here you go about painting it. As we know, there are uh, many types of spray paints out there. There are actually some acetone-free foam-safe spray paints. So you could get those, but honestly, you're not going to have a whole lot of exposure to the foam from the spray paint. So as long as you are spray painting flatly on the paper surface, that acetone is not going to come in contact with the foam, and it is not going to affect anything whatsoever. So you're totally fine there. And um, just make sure you're not spraying on the edges because it will, the acetone that's used for uh, curing the, the paint quickly... That's what eats foam. It's not just the spray paint in general or the um, aerosol or whatever. So it's super easy to just spray paint it all black. But, uh, you know, just like you run into with MDF, real flat, smooth surfaces for buildings is not very good looking. And what you want to do is add some texture to it. So um, this is getting a little farther into what you may want to do. If you don't want to do all of that, okay, I got to... Got to keep reeling myself back because I want to go further into it. So here is the bog standard way to spray paint some very, very quick and dirty buildings, okay? You go buy black spray paint and gray spray paint, uh, specifically both of them being primers, hopefully. 
you are going to spray the entire thing black and you may have to brush on the black on the foam exposed areas just so it doesn't eat it but it's not going to eat it terribly in most cases unless you really get it on there you're going to spray paint the entire base and building black then you're going to lightly spray the whole thing gray over the black once it cures but you don't want to just spray gray all over everything and make it a solid gray because then it defeats the purpose of spray painting it black first a super super easy way to get a little bit of variation and make your buildings look really really good with almost no effort is to spray paint the whole thing black and paint your edges with a brush maybe with something that doesn't have acetone and then dust the building with, from different distances with the gray and what that's going to do is some areas are going to be more gray some areas are going to be darker gray and some areas are going to be black and there you've shaded your building right there there's nothing else to do super easy if you wanted to go a little farther with it then what you could do is uh you want to spray paint the uh there's something called make it stone and i, I don't know if it's rust-oleum or someone like that you'll find it it's in the paint section they all have it and it really doesn't matter what color you buy uh they've got you know tans and blacks and greens and whatever it, really doesn't matter but essentially what it is is there's some sort of texture in the spray paint and that is going to if you're going to dry brush this building it's going to make it look way more interesting and give it some texture to it uh i will warn you you got to shake it up really really good because i don't know exactly what this stuff is but um it's it needs to be shaken up really well and it comes out almost you know when it sprays out it almost reminds you of how silly string comes out i mean it's not silly string but it kind of, you know, kind of like, you know, spits and sputters. And uh, so that's what you're going to do. And you got to do it kind of heavy. It's going to look like you're spray painting it really well. But if you let it dry, you go, oh, that wasn't hardly anything. That didn't, you know, that didn't do anything as far as the texture to it. So you very well will have to spray paint it heavy or spray paint it twice with the texture. Then you spray paint it black, and then you dry brush gray. And of course, when you're dry brushing flat surfaces, it's always nice to have texture, which the stuff underneath is giving you. And also, you want to dry brush very lightly with your dry... You know, you normally dry brush with nearly no paint on the brush anyway. You want to really do it in this case, because that texture is so shallow that if you have a lot of paint, it's not going to show up as texture. So that is something you're going to want to do. So if you're going to just spray paint it without texture, buy a can of black and a, buy a can of gray, and then just kind of airbrush it using that. If you want some texture, I would buy a can of texture spray paint and a can of black, and then get some super cheap craft uh, gray paint from like Michael's. But make sure that it is not the craft paint. Craft paint blows, okay? That apple barrel BS, uh, I hate it. It's very runny. It sucks. The pigment density sucks, okay? So what you're going to want to do is for like $3 or something super cheap, go to Michael's. You can get a giant uh, bottle of acrylic, and I mean acrylic for painting pictures, not for painting a house and not for painting stupid apple barrel whatever stupid projects. And you want some actual, you know, paint, uh, portrait painting paint. But um, it's called Basics or something like that. It's, it's just very cheap, but it does the job. Um, and 
as a good rule of thumb for terrain in general, buying those acrylic, those cheap acrylic paints, not Apple Barrel, but the other cheap acrylic paints, they really are not bad. They hold up pretty well, and um, they are far, far, far cheaper than GW paints. I would only do detail and things like that with GW paints, because otherwise, if you're doing like a whole board of stuff, you're going to go through a lot more money. So, um, the, of course, another option after doing all of this, if you wanted to go a little further, would be to Elmer's glue the entire base that you made for it, and then, you know, uh, before you paint the building, Elmer's glue the whole base and uh, put rocks down and gravel and whatnot, and then maybe spray paint the base when you spray paint the building. Now, the only thing I will warn you about having a base that is foam board is that it may warp over time. Uh, something about like the um, the drying of the uh, the drying of the Elmer's glue with the gravel, it's almost like it shrinks or something like that. And you very well may have a slight bow to your base. So what I would do while you're doing this is I would not glue the four corners of my base, um, you know, and put rocks on them. I would leave those bare. And I would put heavy objects like books or something like that on each corner of the base and glue, you know, 90, 95% of the base and, and gravel it and let it dry completely. And then you have a much less likely chance of having the base warp or something like that. Um, so, of course, you know, this format, the question you asked is a little bit interesting to try to describe describe on a podcast versus just watching a video um, I have not looked up videos how to do this because I have old white dwarfs that explain it and I have old you know articles or or uh, I've got the the Citadel hobby books and all that so I guess it never really occurred to me that somebody coming new into the hobby there may not be resources to show people how to do this because I just assumed it was a th- something that everybody knew but you are true uh Jeremy, you are right that um, it does seem like a lot of times people want to go like, they assume everybody knows all the basics, so then they go, okay, well, here's how to do it insane. And uh, one other thing that might be interesting is that if you find bits for, you know, windows or buildings or uh, doors or things like that, maybe lanterns from a Land Raider, I think they have like little things sticking off them. Things like that. That's all helpful in giving some more panache to your building. Um, I know you just ask for bare bones, but anything else that you can do. Uh, another interesting idea is to put break popsicle sticks, or well, actually you cut popsicle st- sticks with clippers, and put them on the floor as floorboards for your building. And then wherever the building is destroyed, you cut the popsicle stick to the appropriate length, and then you break it off to make it look all jagged on there. Um, and then you just Elmer's glue all that down. And that provides a ton of stability. Um, and another thing you could do, something that's super easy and super simple to do to give your buildings uh, some more panache, like I said, is at those same hobby stores, you can buy square uh, like balsa wood rods or square dowel rods. And you're going to want like an eighth of an inch, something like that, something real small, maybe a quarter inch. And you can make little um, headers for your windows, headers for your doors, window sills, just little odds and ends. It, it really does go a long way. Um, get a round dowel rod and put it down the side of your wall, kind of like guttering. Um, there's, there's tons of stuff you can do. 
but uh, just keep an eye out for that sort of thing. And, um, you know, you when you're cutting out your door, you may not want to actually cut out the entire doorway. You might want to cut, you know, the top one side and the bottom of the door and then hinge it so that it's, you know, cracked open slightly. Um, there's, there's a million things you could do. I'm sure you can find that information online. But uh, anyway, this was your quick and dirty uh, introduction into building buildings. So... Thanks for uh, writing in, Jeremy. I appreciate it. Toodles.